You are listening to Seattle Sports Saturday with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Hour number two of Seattle Sports Saturday. If you missed any of the first hour, if you missed any part of today, make sure you're downloading the podcast, 710sports.com. Or you can listen to it on the 710 Sports app. It is powered by the Dubin Law Group. Jimmy Lake on Twitter just moments ago tweeting, Pac-12 TV, Pac-12 football on TV across the country makes me so happy. Every year the Pac-12 pumps out NFL talent and great teams. UW football will join the action one week from today. Hashtag bow down to Washington. He's got a much more positive outlook on this than I think any of us in the Pac-12 do because today was supposed to be our day. Today was supposed to be the Pac-12's day, and we're missing a third of the conference. And here in, in Seattle, it's the Huskies. And, I mean, I'm not even a Husky fan, and it feels so deflating to not have them and, and Cal and, and Arizona and Utah. Obviously, I'm an Arizona fan, so I'm feeling deflated myself. I got a gut punch going on, too. But uh, hang in there, Coach Lake. Hang in there, Husky fans, because hopefully there's going to be uh, bluer skies a week from today. Because, look, I mean, Taylor, you, you dislike the dogs because you're a Coug, but I think you would much rather have the Huskies playing just for the simple fact that if they lose, you could roast them like crazy. Yeah, or it, look, I'll even take this, Curtis. I would even allow the Cougs to get that Apple Cup loss out of the way early if it meant everyone <laughs> was playing football this weekend. I, I think, look, I, I want all these guys to be safe and healthy, and I don't want anyone yes. to be um, increased, have an increased risk or have any sort of damage permanently. But also, let, let's let's do what we can do in a safe environment to get these guys on that field. And unfortunately, the Pac-12 just coming up short in a in a backup plan on on what to do when players test positive. So this is where we are right now. But um, there's other college football happening. There is still Pac-12 games happening. The Coug game is still happening. So go Cougs! But also. We got a lot to talk about. There's a lot to talk about in the uh, national landscape, the big three, if you will, of the national. Let's get into it. Number one. Like I mentioned, college underway. Big games yesterday, actually. BYU with the route on Boise State. Number nine, BYU. Pardon me. 51 17 over number 21, Boise State. Rough game there for the Broncos. And number 11, Miami. Avoiding upset against NC State, 44-41. The number 11 Hurricanes moved to 6-1, 5-1 in the ACC there. But you got some games happening currently as the Pac-12, or pardon me, as the Pac-12 season starts, you see Arizona State, USC kicking things off. Third quarter just getting underway with the Sun Devils up 17-14 over the number 20 USC Trojans. But elsewhere in the college football landscape, number 13, Indiana. Tom Wassel proud of this one. 24-7 over Big Blue Michigan up there. We'll keep an eye on that Big Ten matchup. SMU, closely contested matchup with Temple right now. They're up 17-13 right now in the third, but a back-and-forth game there. 
um, with number 18 SMU. At halftime, you got Texas leading West Virginia 10-7. And Liberty, number 25 Liberty, currently trails Virginia Tech 20-14 in the third. Number two. The NFL trade deadline, it came and went, and I wouldn't blame you at all if you missed it. Only a few minor trades went down before the Tuesday 1 p.m. deadline. Most analysts out there agreed that teams were shying away from trades because of next year's shrinking salary cap projected to be around $175 million. Targets like Houston's J.J. Watt and Will Fuller stayed put. 49ers made a little bit of a splash. They traded one of their big 2019 free agents, Quan Alexander. That's Quan Alexander. He's going to New Orleans in exchange for Kiko Alonso. Elsewhere, Tennessee, they would probably like a do-over on their signing of Vic Beasley, the veteran pass rusher. He was cut this week midway into a one-year prove-it deal with the team. He didn't show up for the first couple weeks of camp. Then he did, had to go through protocol. He was behind from the start, and he did not really show it on the field as he came up with just – he had zero sacks on the season. He passed through the NFL waiver wire unclaimed. All 32 teams had a shot to claim him on waivers. They all passed, so he is up for grabs. If a team does sign him, he could sign for the minimum NFL uh, contract which means the Seahawks would not really have to make room in their salary cap in order to bring him on board. There's potential there. There's a possibility. We'll just have to wait and see on Vic Beasley. Number three. Well, we're talking the start of the NBA season even now. Shortly after the end of last season, the NBA player reps and now Board of Governors have reached an agreement on starting the 2020-2021 season on December 22nd. The season will consist of a shortened 72-game regular season schedule, and they hope to have the arenas filled to 25 to 50% capacity at some point until a vaccine is created for COVID. So the league and the players still negotiating on the financial terms of this, and there will be amendments to the current collective bargaining agreement. Those are still being talked out and will probably go into the next week as they sort of formally agree about that. But once that agreement is in place, the league will open the free agency market. Players will be free to negotiate with whomever. And uh, you'll see some maybe potentially big names move around. What what could happen? What will happen? A lot of questions still in the NBA, but this will be one of the shortest off seasons, I believe, in sports, American sports history as they uh, ended the NBA finals not too long ago. And we'll head into a new season the end of next month. I know. It's been so... It just feels like the NBA season was going on. The bubble down in Orlando. I think the Lakers clinched their title less than a month ago and yeah. now they're gonna have to turn it right back around run it back after about a month off uh, but if you look at it from a, an entire league perspective the like what is it eight nine teams that didn't make it to Orlando they haven't played since March so they're gonna have about what nine months off you've got the teams that were eliminated early on in the bubble they haven't played since about August teams that were eliminated midway through September. So uh, the teams that lasted the longest in the bubble, they're going to be the most negatively impacted by this. 
but the majority of the league has had a, a normal amount of time off, or in the case of the teams that didn't make the playoffs, a much longer amount of time off. It, it'll be interesting to see, especially a team like the Warriors, who are part of that group that hasn't played since March. They're going to be fully healthy. They're going to get the number two draft pick. Uh, they may have uh, you know, a splash or two in free agency. They're going to be well-rested, ready to go. The NBA is going to be, I think, a lot more unpredictable than it, it normally is because I think a lot of people foresaw the Lakers at least going deep into the season this year. Uh, the Heat, maybe not so much, but I think the 2020-2021 season is going to be one where who knows what's going to happen. LeBron James tweeting out he's cherry-picking all season. He's going to stay on the other <laughs> side of the court. They can play defense four-on-five. He's not trying until midway through the season. And at this point, I wouldn't blame a lot of teams for doing that who went deep. You, you might see the Heat do some of this. You might see the Lakers do some of this. You, you might just see some of these teams. The Nuggets even went deep. You might see them start to rest some of their players, and they have some youth. But they want to make. They know they can make that run. they got a lot of talent. There's some other teams who are going to be getting a lot better. The NBA draft a week from Wednesday. The Warriors with the number two pick. Like, like when the Colts lost Peyton Manning and then got Andrew Luck, the Warriors are going to lose Kevin Durant and most likely get maybe Anthony Edwards, which would be bonkers. Uh, I'm nervous. I'm nervous for <laughs> the Warriors coming back and being that dominant force, but... I'm excited that we're going to get some some NBA basketball back again this year. Again, hopefully they can be safe. Hopefully they don't have to do the bubble again with uh, with cases going up. But we know and we've seen the league that handled it the best was the NBA. So I have full faith that they'll get this done and, and done in a safe and proper way for all of their athletes. Also, uh, NHL, I believe, is looking towards a January restart of uh, of their league after the Stanley Cup was awarded back in late September. So uh, that we're just a season away. One one last cup raise before the Kraken get going. Uh, so that season will probably start in January of 2021. In baseball, uh, funny how the Red Sox were able to sneak this one by everybody. Mm. Uh, I mean, no better week for a news dump than this one because uh, uh, you know people's attention was, was elsewhere. But the Red Sox have rehired manager Alex Cora a year after he was suspended by Major League Baseball for his, for his involvement in not just the Astros sign-stealing scandal, but also the Red Sox one of 2018. This is a, a two-time offender, the only one of this group of Astros players and coaches that not only did it with Houston, but also with another organization. He's back leading the Red Sox, but for Fortunately for the rest of baseball, Boston was awful this year. Uh, so hopefully they continue to stay bad. Yeah, and they got to watch Mookie Betts hoist that trophy. And <laughs> a lot of Red Sox fans upset about that one. That's for sure. And Taylor, could I interest you in Francisco Lindor, by the way? <gasps> uh, yes. Interested, uh, intrigued, um, fascinated, whatever type of synonym you want to use. I'm I am that about Francisco Lindor and everything he does on on the diamond. Yeah, some uh, some baseball insiders this week are expecting Cleveland to shop Francisco Lindor this offseason. Uh, that would be probably prize number one of anybody available out there. Switch hitting shortstop, uh, potential face of your franchise. 
I don't know. The Mariners, they have a lot of great young talent in this organization that I don't want to miss out on. But when somebody like Francisco Lindor is available, maybe just maybe you 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 take a you take a little looky a little looky loo there. Uh, and then also next week the Masters teeing off from Augusta, November twelfth through the fifteenth. Which, by the way, brings us to the golf show that's following us here from noon to one. World famous golf show. Yes, it's back. It's it's never left. Uh, yeah, it never yeah, left. It was in our us. hearts the whole time. <laughs> Jim Moore and Sean Crew coming your way about an hour from now. But coming up in this hour here on Seattle Sports Saturday, what are the keys to a Seahawk victory? What what are the keys to victory number seven for Seattle? We'll talk that in about 15 minutes. But up next, we'll run around the league, get you the biggest headlines heading into week number nine right here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. This is Seattle Sports Saturday. The big voice guy said it, so it must be true. Looking through some of the biggest headlines in the NFL heading into week nine. Of course, you got Taylor Jacobs and myself, Curtis Rogers, here with you for about the next 40 minutes or so. But Tennessee's pass rush, they they released Vic Beasley this week, and now it looks like Jadevian Clowney might need meniscus surgery. That's according to Mike Garofalo of the NFL Network this morning. Taylor, hindsight being what it is, always 20-20, million for Jadevian Clowney was what he signed for with Tennessee. Looks like he could be out for some extended time here. Do you still regret the Seahawks not going harder after Jadevian Clowney? Um, no, I'm okay with them not going <laughs> after Clowney now. Hindsight is twenty twenty, and I'm taking it, baby. Clear eyes, full hearts. I'm not losing. Glad they didn't <laughs> sign him. Seahawks six and one. Ben don't break defense. They've been at, able to add some of these cheaper pieces some discount pieces to fill up that void left behind by Clowney, but he hasn't really even done it in Tennessee, and he hasn't really made that impact this season there either. And maybe the Seahawks truly knew about that that injury and the true severity of it before all this happened, and they knew that that was the reason why they wouldn't budge on their their offer and why they essentially pulled offers off the table at the end. Maybe they knew, and most likely they they did know more than we knew. And it it truly is looking to be a a good move on the Seahawks' part that they went and were able to invest elsewhere. Dunlap coming soon. What we'll see from Snacks, Harrison, Benson, Mayoa already had a great impact on the season. So, you know, I, I just think the Seahawks made the right move here, and I know it's hindsight to say that, but we got it. We're taking it. I think it's funny how Clowney, after signing with the Titans, he made those comments saying Mike Vrabel knows how to make knows how to turn me into a playmaker. Uh, like this is the defense for me. He's got zero sacks. He has not gotten after the quarterback. He has been anything but the playmaker that he thought Mike Vrabel could turn him into. Uh, I, I, it's so strange to me that Clowney, for whatever reason just seems to think he's a 3-4 linebacker when clearly here in Seattle especially he was a game breaker at a 4-3 defensive end there when he was out on the field last season he was Seattle's best defensive player and for whatever reason he did not 
think the 4-3 was for him, even after saying that it was. I've never seen any player quite like Jadevian Clowney flip-flop back and forth between stuff like this. For him to have a season like he's had with Tennessee, I mean, it's a bummer that he's he, he's losing a lot of it because of injury. There's still a part of me, though, that kind of wishes he was here. I, I, I mean, as... as, mm. as crazy as that sounds with him having the meniscus injury I mean just having him on that defensive line I don't know maybe it's it's maybe we can get him at an even further discount next season because I doubt Tennessee is going to want him back I mean I like that strategy that sounds good to me play the long game there you go I can dig that (laughs) also on Sunday Saints and Buccaneers on Sunday Night Football Pretty interesting one. This will be Antonio Brown's first action uh, in over a year. Week one of 2019 was the last time he played. Uh, this game also, though, New Orleans has won four straight. They're five and two on the season. Uh, Tampa Bay, they're six and two on the season. Uh, this is not only just for the AFC South, but I would imagine if New Orleans wins this, I think you can firmly cement them back into the conversation of NFC contenders. Does New Orleans worry you at all, Taylor? Yeah, they do worry me, and they have playmakers on that offense. And Drew Brees, I know that he is on the downslide of his career, but he's still able to get it done. His his down years are still most people's career years. And they got guys like Kamara, who has he can catch the ball out of the backfield, he can run between the tackles. He can line up at wide receiver. He's a special playmaker in the NFL. And then you got Michael Thomas, truly a dominant receiver, physical. Yes, he's also had his injury issues this year, but to, to me, I, I do not want to see the <laughs> the Saints at all. Um, it, it feels like with Antonio Brown making his debut, I'm even more nervous for the Bucks though. And, and what will they look like? What will he do if he doesn't get the targets? What is the relationship between Evans and Godwin and Brown? What are they all going to be like when they're playing together, all demanding double-digit touches at least? I'm nervous for the Saints to ever see the Saints. I'm getting more. I'm getting less nervous about the Bucks, depending on how Antonio Brown does. Um, but the Saints, I think, back in the conversation for NFC contenders and, and teams to watch. Yeah, it just seems like it's combustible in in Tampa Bay. It's going to get to that point where somebody's going to get frustrated with their targets. And, I mean, Tom Brady I don't think has ever had that problem at any point in his career, having too many targets. And it's not just his wide receivers. It's Gronk now. It's O.J. Howard. Uh, I mean, there's just so many guys that want the ball, that demand the ball, and it's just going to be impossible unless they throw it 60 to 70 times to get 10-plus targets to all of those guys. The, the math just doesn't work out that way. Uh, I think we've seen it the last couple of weeks. Mike Evans has gotten his targets to go way down. So, And, and that's, I, I think, pound for pound right now, Mike Evans is their best wide receiver. So mm-hmm. I, I just I don't have confidence that Tampa Bay can sustain with this many guys, with this many weapons, it's like, to me, I, I made this comparison, I think, with John Clayton a couple weeks ago. It's like the Golden State Warriors a couple of years ago when they added Boogie Cousins to their offense, and everybody thought, oh, they're going to they're gonna win an NBA Finals here. They're going to just destroy everybody. They're going to win 82 games. 
there just wasn't enough touches to go around. And, and Boogie was a shell of himself. And you had the other four guys there doing what they normally do. And it just it never really gelled with, with Cousins in that lineup. I get the same vibe here with with Antonio Brown in, in Tampa Bay's passing. Yeah, it's just they can be great individual players, but sometimes they're not great fits on teams. And it doesn't mean that they're less of a great player because of that. It just means it it's not the right fit. And I feel like that's the case with Antonio Brown with a, a lot of teams in the NFL. It worked in Pittsburgh until it ran out, but... You know, they Pittsburgh's known as being one of those top-notch organizations and, and one of those teams that, that holds their players to a high standard. And he was able to do that for quite a while. And, and, you know, you could argue about his career and where his career numbers put him in the conversation for all-time receivers. But I'm with you, Curtis. Boogie Cousins, perfect example. We know how good he can be. A double-double machine in the NBA. Antonio Brown easily could put up 100 yards in any game he plays in out of his peak but the fits i don't know about the fits and i just don't feel like the fit here is a good one even with tom brady just having mike evans godwin in that contract year he's gonna want to eat it's just too many mouths too too little touches to go around and i feel like they're heading for trouble question for you what should we as a city get the Miami Dolphins if they knock off the Cardinals on Sunday? Because they'll have beaten the Rams, the 49ers, and Arizona if they're able to win. And then they also lost to the Seahawks. So shout out to the Dolphins for having the Seahawks back this year. What do you think we should yeah. get them? Maybe some sunshine. I think they need more of that. So we'll give them a few days of sunshine because that's what they need. Um, we don't have any to give. We're going to have to trade someone else yeah. for that. So it's going to be a three-city trade here. Re-gi- but um, Regifted. Regifted. Yeah, some regifted sunshine from you know our neighbors to the north or something like that. But, um, yeah, it. Miami is so confusing. But, hey, I, I will come on here and admit I thought Tua was going to go and get worked. He didn't have a great statistical day, but they got the win. He looked composed. It looks like Miami may have a guy that they can truly believe in and invest around. Because if he's able to do this with some of the pieces they have now, and yes, he didn't have a great passing day, but if he can bring the best out of these types of players, what what can he do with better talent around him? And it'll be interesting to see what Miami can do. Uh, can they become one of these AFC teams that starts to sneak into the playoffs in years future and years going on and seasons going on from now? I think that's a legitimate yes, and that they might be able to be one of those teams that year in, year out surprises teams every any given Sunday. Any team that's got Seattle's back, they're A-OK in our book. Coming up yep. in this hour, we still need your shout-outs. We'll get to those at 1145. Text those into the Busy Hard Seltzer text line 710-710. Before we get to those, how will Seattle be able to move to 7-1 and tomorrow against these 6-2 and Buffalo Bills? We get into that here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. How do you think the Seahawks will be able to beat the Buffalo Bills tomorrow? Text that into the Busy Heart Seltzer text line 710-710. There's more than one way to pick up a victory in the NFL. 
how do we think the Seahawks are going to do it tomorrow? And is is the answer maybe just as simple as getting in Josh Allen's head, rattling his cage, making him throw those 50-50 balls, making him take those risks that we saw so often in the playoff game last year against the Texans where he's throwing a Hail Mary to their fullback, uh, where he's throwing it like behind his back and all that. Is that how you beat these Buffalo Bills? Because to me, Josh Allen, for as much praise as he has gotten in his NFL career, it seems like there's just something about his game that is maybe a little too dangerous. Because if he were my quarterback, Taylor, man, I would... I don't know if I could ever be comfortable with him with the ball because there's just so many shots that he takes, and it's it, it's got to come come back around at some point, right? Right, and there's the the infamous fumble we all know about in the in last season where he tried to lateral the ball and it was the biggest boneheaded play. And you look at his career numbers: only a 59 percent completion percentage for his career. 46 touchdowns, but 26 interceptions. I mean, that's a big number. That's a that's a scary number in three seasons so far. So, well, two and some change rather. Um, it, he is he first of all wouldn't fit into the Seahawks model, and you've heard the promo play in the past few days about you know they scouted Josh Allen. Were they going to take Josh Allen to be the backup here in Seattle or? Was it a Russell negotiation tactic? He would never have fit in this system. He is too risky, and the number one thing Pete Carroll preaches, especially on offense, is protect the ball. you got to protect the football. Do not give that football away. That's why Russell Wilson is so good in this system, is that he values that as well, and that was the style of quarterbacking he played. Protect the football, make the smart decision, live to play another play. And with Josh Allen, it just feels like he makes too many mistakes like that. But for the Seahawks defense, they got to capitalize. If you do get the turnover, get the points. You can't get those and have it turn to nothing. Or else Josh Allen will hang in the game and he will be able to throw hard enough or farther enough down the field because he does have the arm strength or run for a few first downs. We've seen what running quarterbacks do against the Seahawks defense. So it starts with Josh Allen and the containment, the pressure, and making him to make those mistakes we know he makes. A couple of texts coming in on the Busy Hard Seltzer text line, 710-710. It's always there for you if you want to get in touch with us. But the 206 says limits to Fawn Diggs. I think that's a very yeah. important one because Diggs is the number two leading receiver in the NFL this season, just behind DeAndre Hopkins, just out in front of DK Metcalf. Uh, Diggs has been incredible since coming over to Buffalo, and he's really been a tremendous safety blanket for Josh Allen this season. And, and the two-five-three follows that sort of along those lines of Seahawks can win if they can apply consistent pressure on Josh Allen. He is a gaff machine. Uh, I think Stephon Diggs, the challenges that, that he presents, I think Seattle's defense can be up for it, especially – if you've got Quentin Dunbar out there, if you've got Jamal Adams, I think Jamal Adams, you know, being able to help out over the top, you know, you're not relying on guys like Ryan Neal uh, or you know anybody like that who, you know, isn't necessarily. I mean, Neal's a good player in his own right. He's shown you know some flashes this season, 
but he is not at the level of consistency that Jamal Adams is. He's nowhere near that that level of player. I think if Seattle can can be able to contain Stephon Diggs and, and force other guys like Cole Beasley uh, to to beat Seattle, I think you're going to have a, a a much easier go of it in defending this passing game. Uh, you know, and Josh Allen is just he is. I think he's an interception waiting to happen at some point tomorrow, and I think. Like you said, if they if the Seahawks do get those turnovers, if they do not turn those turnovers into points, it is such a wasted opportunity. Luckily, Russell Wilson has been at such an incredible level this season. Uh, he's on pace to break Peyton Manning's touchdown record. I, I feel like Russell within himself knows the importance of every possession and knows that you just cannot leave points out on the table, especially with how Seattle's defense has played this season. I mean, heck last week they allowed 27 points and we're over here calling it the best defensive effort they've had this season outside of maybe the Miami game. Uh, I mean, you cannot waste possessions uh, with the 2020 Seahawks or else, you know, things get to be very, very tenuous and very stressful. And and Diggs is going to get those yards. I said it earlier in the show. Those plays are going to happen. But you're right, Curtis. Jamal Adams back there. The Seahawks defense is built from the back forward. Pete Carroll, former safety, that's how he saw the field. That's how he sees defenses. And that's how he sees uh, the defense when he coaches. And Jamal Adams, you're right, is that safety blanket. Limit Diggs on those big plays. Take the over-the-top play out of it. Don't allow any of those. Keep it short. Keep it in front of you. Keep it in front of you because eventually when you do that, they will limit the number of plays they can do as they get down into the red zone. You can't go deep over the top. There's no space. And that's when you bend. You bend, you bend, you bend, and then you don't break in the red zone. That's how this defense wins. That's how this defense succeeds. And Jamal Adams, a big cog in the engine that drives that success, having him back there, keeping things in front of him, and also what impact he can make in blitzing, right? Because we know when this defense has been able to mix in blitzes, we saw it last weekend with Bobby Wagner, what type of an impact he had on this game when he was able to get back there, disrupt the quarterback, it takes a lot of pressure off those guys on the outside, a lot of the pressure on the secondary. So I'm expecting there to be a similar style play call. I don't know if you'll see as much blitzing, but I think you'll see Jamal Adams come down into that box and really attack Josh Allen a few times in this game. One trend I noticed this week is Seattle in games against scrambling quarterbacks. And I don't think Josh Allen, I think he unfairly, doesn't get mentioned among the scrambling type quarterbacks, but he can make plays with his legs. And the two times this season Seattle has has played a quarterback that has you know had that element of the run in addition to the pass. I would say it's the New England game and it's the Arizona game. Cam Newton and Kyler Murray. Both of those games, Newton and Murray led their teams in rushing uh, on on that game day. This season, Josh Allen has led the Bills in rushing, I believe, in three different games this season. Do you think that's a portion of his game that we may be overlooking tomorrow? And and I think specifically in those third-down situations when it's clearly a pass option and for whatever reason the play breaks down and and Josh Allen sees a lane, I mean, he, he... 
you don't really think of him as having blazing, you know, four 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 five speed, but he's he's long and he can stride and he can get those those big yardage. How do you think that's going to play out tomorrow? Do you think Allen's legs could present a challenge for Seattle? Yeah, for sure. And if you look at some of the games this season, he's averaging those four or five yards a carry. And that's scary, right? Because if he's rushing that way, he's getting first downs. You know, every every three times he rushes the ball, he's getting a first down. So they got to find a way to limit that. He's not as speedy as Kyler, I think, uh, Kyler Murray, which is the quarterback that gave them the most fits so far as far as quarterbacks who are mobile. He's not that type of, of speed guy. He is strong. So wrapping up, tackling, seeing the tackle through, you know, not really going for for these weak tackles. You're going to have to wrap him up and bring him to the ground because he can break through the weak one-arm tackles. Even tackles towards the bottom of his legs, he's able to break through a lot of those too. So consistent tackling on Josh Allen when he does get out to limit those plays, keep him under three yards a carry on the day, make sure he's not that difference maker when he gets out into the open field, and I think the Seahawks defense will have a easier time with this Bills offense this weekend. Now, how about Seattle's offense going up against the Buffalo defense, specifically Tredavious White, who I would consider to be the most important Bills defensive player, the cornerback, uh, all pro last season in 2019, going up against, I would imagine, DK Metcalf tomorrow. But DK, the best one-on-one receiver in the NFL this season, I believe he's got over 500 receiving yards in one-on-one situations. How do you see that matchup playing out? Uh, I don't see good things happening for uh, the Buffalo secondary. (laughs) Look at what he did to Stephon Gilmore, right? And the impact he had on that guy's day. And that he may be the best in the league currently, right? So, and that's no disrespect uh, to Jadavius White, but to me, it feels like no one is going to stop DK. He's going to, if if you leave him in one-on-one, He's going to get those yards. He's going to get those catches. It's next to impossible to stop him because he is so physical. They're going to have to get creative, right? They're going to have to bait the, uh, Russell Wilson into thinking that he's open, but have someone over the top to look at them. But that's going to open it up for Tyler Lockett, David Moore, maybe some of the tight ends to really capitalize on some of their one-on-one situations where they're not getting doubled or they're not getting uh, more pressure. So you might see DK not have those big, crazy statistical games like he's had in the past few weeks. But I think you're going to see a few of the other receivers and playmakers on the outside have a day. And I wouldn't be surprised if next week we're talking about Tyler Lockett, another two touchdown game with Russell Wilson, maybe even more because they're, they're focused on DK Metcalf and limiting his playmaking ability but don't forget about Tyler Lockett. He's just as good on the on the other side of that football. It seems like Lockett and Metcalf they take the baton from each other each week. Like I'll I'll have the good game this week, Tyler. Don't don't you worry about it. Or I'll have the good game this week, DK. You you just you do your thing. I'll put the I'll put up the two hundred yards. How awesome would it be if both of them got a hundred in, in the same game? Which I don't think has happened this season, but. It could very easily happen. I don't think that would be out of the realm of possibility at any point this season. I think both those guys are are just incredible. And sort of the the pick your poison, I don't know if the Seahawks have ever had 
wide receiver production quite like this, and it has just been incredible to watch, and we're all lucky for it. Yeah, we the, the Seahawks have had the depth, no doubt, right? You look at the Doug Baldwin curse, golden era of the wide receivers. That's a pretty deep lineup, right? But as far as people that terrify you, and I'm talking about where defensive coordinators are staying up game planning for a specific guy. I mean, this might be the first time that the Seahawks have had a multiple multiple players who can do that. I mean, how do you stop a guy like Tyler Lockett? He has such body control. He's made such acrobatic catches, and he's so fast, and he can get underneath your defense in his zone. And then, oh, there's DK Metcalf as well, who one-on-one is the best, over 500 yards receiving, like you said. If he gets into open space and he gets some uh, steam behind that locomotive, he is unstoppable. So <laughs> Bill's defense have a big task. Yes, no Chris Carson, but still, this passing game is so effective and Russell is so accurate. It's going to be a long day, I think, for Buffalo starting Sunday morning. Coming up next, we wrap it up here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Text in your shout-outs. Who do you want to shout-out this weekend? Text those into 710-710 on the Busy Hard Seltzer text line. We read yours. We give you ours right here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Fun one here on this Seattle Sports Saturday. Shout-out to you for joining us at any point over the last two hours. Still lots to get to here in, uh, on 710 ESPN today. We've got the Cougar game coming up. Pre-game, I believe, starts at 5.30, kickoff at 7.30. You can hear that only here on 710 ESPN Seattle. So make sure you're tuning in for that. Uh, Taylor Jacobs and Curtis Rogers here with you for the next 15 minutes or so before we make way for the golf show with Jim Moore and Sean Crew. But before we do that, we have to give you our shout-outs. We have to read your shout-outs from this week. Uh, 360, Rainbow and I shout-out voting. Yes, shout-out to all who participated this week. Uh, your voice was heard, and uh, you know whether it went your way or not, uh, just shout-out to you for exercising that civic duty. Uh, it, it's a So many people would do anything to vote, and for those of us who did uh, do that, shout-out to you guys. And shout-out uh, kind of leads into mine here, and I'm sure, Taylor, you were probably Go for it. Shout out too, but shout out to all the poll workers this week. Uh, shout out mm-hmm. to all the mail carriers, anybody who was out there uh, delivering ballots and all that. Because man, oh man, uh, it's a stressful time anytime there's an election, but especially one as important as this one. Um, so shout out to them for for doing doing the very hard work. Uh, it, it's definitely not lost on us uh, that what they did this week was very. Uh, very crucial to just how democracy functions in America. So, shout out to them and and putting themselves in in the line of fire of uh, you know potentially getting COVID there, exposing themselves to that. So, just shout out to all of them for for doing that work and and making it uh, as as I guess it was a stressful week, but as stress free as they could make it. Yeah, and. Just uh, again, just to, I'll echo what you said. A shout out to all the poll workers and sh- shout out to this country. We are lucky enough to be able to, to speak our minds freely to vote in a process like that. There are, there are still a, a portion of people who are going to be upset today. And there's a portion of people who will be thrilled today. But 
tomorrow the work starts and we go back to work as a country. I think that's one of the greatest things about this country is how hardworking everyone is here. And when we are united in the goal of what we want to do, which is to make this country the best possible version of itself, when we unite together, all those goals can be accomplished. So I'm excited to see the hard work this country is about to put in to getting better and to being the best country in the world. We're already the best at sports. We know that. We talk about it every week. <laughs> now we got to be better everywhere else, too, and we can do that together. And I look forward to the challenges. There will be challenges. I look forward to the successes. And I'm anticipating there to be challenge and fallbacks that will, again, challenge all of us. So those are the moments, again, we need to come together, work together, and we will accomplish what we want to accomplish. Also on the Vizzy Hard Seltzer text line, 710-710. That's where you can put your shout-outs if you want to hear them on the air. 206, shouting out Tom for winning Friday's game show two weeks in a row. Uh, yeah, he won Bills, Bills, Bills in a dramatic triple overtime yesterday. Uh, Whoa. Yeah, it was great. Uh, writing those trivia questions, one of the most fun things about this job. Uh, so. <laughs> Yeah, that that went down yesterday on Tom, Jake, and Stacy. Uh, also, shout out to uh, the schools in the Pac-12 that were able to get this week going uh, without a hitch. I mean, obviously there were four schools impacted by it, including the University of Washington. Uh, but for those who are are being able to to watch their games this week, and for the schools who are able to go out there and play, uh, shout out to them because there was so much uncertainty. Uh, not just you know, you know, only just like a month ago, there was uncertainty whether or not this season would ever get played. Um, you know, there were there was an announcement from the Pac-12 back in the summer that there was not going to be a 2020 college football season. Uh, you know, if you can do it safely, by all means, do it. Like I, we have no issue if you can play these games safely, um, and hopefully, the Pac-12 learns from this week that hey, we. There's there's some serious protocols that need to be followed here, but shout out to the schools that are going to be able to play this week. Shout out to your Cougs, Taylor, as they get something mm-hmm. they get a big game uh, underway tonight. How you feeling as they uh, look at Oregon State here? I feel good. I have a bet with my sister. She went to Oregon State. She was a rower right. down there, um, so we got a nice little family bet going. But um, no, I'm I'm feeling good. I, I think. Rolovich is going to get this program going into the right way. I think they can be a solid contender in the Pac-12 North year in, year out. I, I'm not not silly. I understand Oregon and UW are still ahead of the Cougs currently. But it doesn't mean Wazoo can't get there and can't surpass them at some point. But you got to start somewhere. Rolovich, I think, is going to bring that consistency. Some of the play calling you like to see. Some of the recruiting you like to see, locally especially. We're already starting to recruit local players, which is the one thing we haven't done in 10, 12 years. So the fact that some of these top recruits in Washington are considering Wazoo as one of their schools, I think it just shows all the signs, the writings on the wall. Love the Cougs. I'm excited. I'm so excited. You're you're taking on my shout-outs. I was going to shout-out the Pac-12 schools and, and being back. And even the ones that aren't back for fighting to get back to play to be on the field for what they love and what they do. Do it as safe as you can and protect yourselves, but I'm excited to see a Pac-12 season this year. It feels it feels like it's not real, but it is real. We get some Pac-12 football tonight if you're a Coug fan. So have fun, be safe, enjoy it. 
really enjoy it because we know we almost didn't get it. So it's a special time to just enjoy the sports we get to watch. Absolutely. Shout out to, to Husky fans because uh, I yep. can empathize with you today because I'm an Arizona fan. I don't get to watch my team uh, on this Saturday after waiting for so long and all this anticipation building for Saturday, and it's not there. So uh, we'll we'll lick our wounds today, and, and hopefully next week uh, we get to see some, some more college football, especially here in the city of Seattle. That is going to do it for us here today on Seattle Sports Saturday. Thank you so much for stopping by. Uh, that is going to do it for us. He is Taylor Jacobs. I'm Curtis Rogers. Make sure you tune in tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. Seahawks pregame. 10 a.m. kickoff time as they take on the Bills. We'll have plenty of reaction coming up this week. we got the Pete Carroll Show on Monday with Danny and Gallant. So many reasons to keep it locked here on 710 ESPN Seattle. One more of those. The Golf Show next. That's going to do it for us here on 710 ESPN Seattle.